I count it a privilege to be with you again, particularly as you are in the midst of celebrating a 40th anniversary year, and the PCA itself is in its 50th anniversary. We just finished celebrating that at the turn of the year, and so being able to be with you is a blessing. I thank you for that. You're a church that focuses on the Word. I want to take you there to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, and verses 1 to 8, Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet Isaiah writes, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. This is the word of the Lord. December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor. November 22, 1963, Dallas, Texas, 9-11-2001, New York City. You recognize the convention of a dateline, where a date and a place bring to mind a whole sequence of events that have devastating consequences for a nation. Where people wonder, are things going to be okay now? What's ahead? Will the future be secure? And Isaiah is doing precisely the same thing. Though the words are not as familiar to us, it would be familiar dateline to the people of Israel. The prophet is in Jerusalem. In the year that King Uzziah died. And all the people recognize what that means. This is the king who has kept the wheels of commerce greased and the walls of defense secure. And now he's gone. 
And everyone wonders, now what? Will we be okay? Is the Lord still in charge? And in that time of great wonderment and concern, Isaiah brings it all to mind for a purpose, as though it's the newspaper headline of the day. Even as I mentioned to some of you, Dateline conventions of newspapers, some of you in the room still know what that is. And I can remember one that was particularly striking for me. I remember the, the front page of the newspaper. Large color photograph, upper half, in the prime position. Some summit where leaders of nations were gathering. Pictures at the airport, Air Force One in the background. The lineup of national flags, the presidents in suits and ties, the dignitaries of state, the band, all on display. It was a, an amazing display of pageantry and power. That's what was on the front page. But it's not why I remember that front page. Too many summits. Too many gatherings of nations and leaders. I don't remember what the summit was about. Why I remember that front page is because beneath the color photo, lower down on the page, was a black and white photo of an older woman kissing a baby. And the caption explaining that this was the mother of a family thought to be the first to adopt an African child with AIDS. It was a time that we did not understand the disease, where fear and rumor were dominating, and here was the picture of an older mother, nonetheless adopting a child and kissing him on the lips. I've got a question for you. Which was the greater glory? The, the picture of the parading presidents all in display of power and pageantry, or the picture of the older mother kissing the diseased child. Which was the greater glory? And I expect you to want to debate me. Say, well, you can't measure glory. I know. But what does your heart say? Because what your heart says will largely determine what your mind sees in this passage. There is obviously great glory on display. We see a prophet going into a temple, whether by vision or in actual reality, somehow the ceiling opens and he sees into heaven itself and he sees the Lord in glorious display, seated on his throne, high and lifted up and the heavenly host surrounding. It is a picture of great glory, but unusual in itself because in Hebrew culture, Thrones do not go in temples. There's a reason this is on display. It is the year that King Uzziah died. Everything is coming undone. The people must tremble at what the future holds. And yet high and lifted up and seated on his throne is the Lord God Almighty. 
It is a message that we still need to understand. The world may be seeming to come undone. The crisis present. The future uncertain. But God is still on his throne. He is not moved. He is not wringing his hands. He is not saying oops. He's saying I am the sovereign God over all. And the God who is not pacing, who is not anxious, reigns. It is a a message for nations still, as we wonder as a nation, is war around the corner? Those who tell us about ourselves say perhaps the greatest jeopardy of our nation since World War II. China, Russia, Iran, North Korea. And then we face a presidential election in which we think our nation may be divided again. And then we wonder about the economic future if all of that happens. And people tremble and they wonder. God is still on his throne. If there is a congregation who should be able to rejoice in that, it is this. I look at you even this morning with people ready to worship God, seated in a beautiful sanctuary, and some of you were here, as Mark mentioned, at a time when I was here in tragedy. In the year that Petrus died. And even then, the Lord was on his throne. And you are here because he was. And so we celebrate a 40th anniversary, but we celebrate the faithfulness of God. Our God reigns. And that reality is the celebration of great glory. And that we would understand the glory that comes to us in so many different dimensions. The, the glory is on display because the Lord is high and lifted up. It's saying to us, he is not tainted by earth's stain. He is not sullied by the events and the tragedies and the sin of this world. He is so untouched by the imperfections and the sin and the dirt and the filth and the awfulest corruption of this world that his purity is radiant. You, you see it described in verse 2. There are the seraphim. The heavenly host, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. Even the heavenly host, in the presence of the radiant purity of the holiness of God, cannot gaze upon him. With their wings, they cover their eyes. It's the mark of the Hebrews of old. You cannot look upon the Lord and live. And it's not just applying to earthly beings. Now, now even the heavenly host. And they, they cannot merely look upon the radiance of God. They don't want to be exposed by it. With two wings they cover their eyes. With two they cover themselves. It is a radiance that is deadly. Because God is so great in his glory, his purity. And we gain some Measure of that, not only by the separate and shininess of God, but how its degree is then measured for us. You know what those seraphim are singing. Verse 3, they call to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If a Hebrew wanted to say something with emphasis, he'd repeat it twice. 
And here you have the threefold holy God. As if by the declaration itself, we are being told words cannot contain. How pure, how wondrous, how holy is this God. And we get some understanding of the degree by the duration of the song. You know these words. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because this is not the only place they are mentioned in the Bible. Not just in the Old Testament, but in the book of Revelation where we see the consummation of all things. The heavenly host gather around the throne again. And as they gaze upon the lamb who was sacrificed for you and for me, for our sin, taking our impurity upon himself, but taking it as far away as the east is from the west, again the heavenly host sing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And John in Revelation says, they sing the song as long as the lamb is seated upon the throne. And then John adds, and he sits upon the throne forever. (laughs) He is the holy God of the Old Testament. He is the holy God of the New Testament. He is the holy God of the new creation. He is the forever holy God. And I can say the words, and it's still hard for us to take it in. What what is the impact of all of that? And so there is, as it were, a, a scene painted for a drama put on the page to help us in our humanity feel the impression of the holiness of God. You've heard of a a tempest and a teapot, which is kind of much ado about nothing. But this is a tempest in the temple. Verse 4, the angels are singing. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Where does the smoke come from? In the altar of atonement, where sacrifice is being made for the sins of the people. But now the smoke not only fills the temple, it rises to heaven itself, as if to say, the compensation for the sins of humanity, for this nation, is so great that it is as this billowing storm cloud filling earth and heaven itself. And through the storm cloud fly the seraphim, whose name means burning ones. Like an incessant lightning, they flit through the storm cloud. And like lightning, they have an audible effect. They sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But it is not the gentle, melodic, angelic strains such as we would imagine. No, it is thunder. As they sing the thresholds of the temple, which we know even now were sunk 90 feet into the ground, shake at the angels saying to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And not only does the earth shake, But even a prophet is shaken and he falls to his knees. And having perceived some measure of the holiness of God, what does he proclaim about himself? Woe is me. 
I'm lost. I am ruined. I am devastated. I've seen the holiness of God. I've been exposed by the reality of my sin in the presence of his purity. And I cannot stand. I, I cannot sing. I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't sing with the angels their song, holy, holy, what you just sang. The prophet says, I'm a man of, I can't do that. And he doesn't just confess it about himself. He looks around him and says, what? I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. It's what Paul would say in the New Testament, right? There's, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's absolute devastation. In light of the great glory that is on display. And the message to us, even in our day and our time, when we confess sin, when we come together to acknowledge the grace of God that will be on the table before us, is to recognize that it is hard, it is so hard to perceive the sin that required the sacrifice of a Savior, even when you're churched, even when you're here. And if we do not see our sin for the horror that it is, it is only because we do not perceive the holiness of God for the glory that it is. And so the glory is before us in magnificent expression. But as great as it is, I want you to hear me say, there is a greater glory on display here. It is not just glory transcendent. It is glory transferred. Yes, the holiness is on display. Yes, it is magnificent. But for a prophet who has been devastated, who is lying in ruin because of the perceived understanding of the holiness of God, what happens next? You know, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. You almost just have to stop right there. The infinite, the heavenly, comes to earth. A seraphim, the, the being that is designed to give eternal glory to God, a seraphim came to me. Somehow the infinite becomes intimate. And that in itself is a greater glory than simply recognition of the perfections of God. I had some sense of it. Pastor Mark was nice to mention being at a seminary for a number of years. And I remember a, a student telling me he'd been in a, a classroom lecture in which the professor had talked about the omnipresence of God. And the student later on was just thinking about that, you know, that all of God is always present everywhere. It's, it's not just like you get a little piece of him here, a little piece. No, no all of God is always present Everywhere, it's, it's almost better to say everything exists in the presence of God. And as he was thinking about that, he said, well, yeah, that's a pretty cool concept. That, that, you know, that, that's rather remarkable. But, but then he recognized as he was sitting in the library kind of reading and thinking about that, that if, if, if all of God was always present everywhere, what that meant was that God was in the library. 
that the hand of God was on his shoulder at that very moment. As the hand of God is on your shoulder at this very moment. There is a wonder of holiness transcendent. But there is a wonder of holiness come near. After all, his name is Emmanuel. God with us. And when he comes in the presence of his angels, what happened? Verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Don't we hate that image? He, he takes a burning coal from where? From the altar, the altar of atonement, where sacrifice for sin would be made for over a thousand years by rams and bulls and goats and lambs, which could never fully take away the guilt of sin until one lamb went to a hill called Calvary and laid himself on the altar of a cross and in doing so, the fire on the altar went out. What was happening in the Old Testament was the mark of what would happen. The innocent being offered for the guilty. And it's, it's from that altar of innocence being offered for the guilty that a coal is taken. And it, it touches the lips of the prophet. <laughs> you know. Carterizing purifying and what is the consequence his lips are made pure what does that mean he can sing the song he can sing with the angels he can speak of the holiness of God not just him but all who receive the blessing of God what what are we learning here we, we look at the Old Testament, we think, oh, you know, there's that parade of prophets and kings and battles and plagues. And, you know, listen, I, I know it's a wonderful parade. But do you recognize it's a march of intimacy as God keeps coming closer and closer and closer until in the person of his son, he comes to earth to be God with us and when that resurrected and ascended Lord goes back to be with his heavenly father, he says what? I will be with you always. How? By his Holy Spirit who is where? In us. Here he comes closer and closer and closer to sinful human beings who are separated from his holiness. But he comes and provides himself, gives himself and then indwells us. It is a marvelous picture of the greater glory of a God who is so loving and intimate that he would know the worst about us and come for us and sacrifice himself for us and tell us that we could ultimately sing with the angels, not because of our goodness, but because of his mercy.
Somehow the prophet has a sense of that. And so in the eighth verse, when the voice of the Lord says, whom shall I send now to tell the nations, tell the people, who will go for us? The prophet who's been on the ground, who can't sing, says, here I am. Send me. He's not just made able to sing. He's made ready to serve. It's always the message of the church. What has happened in this account? Do you recognize? We have, we have moved from, from glory, which reveals the holiness of God, to grace, which we need. And God gives to mission. What have you all learned as 40 years as a church? I hope you've learned something of the greatness of the glory of God. But that will only devastate you and others if you do not also know the greater glory of the grace of God, which is not just transcended holiness. It's the beauty of holiness transferred by the mercy of God to undeserving people because of how great is his heart. And when you know that, when it really touches you in there, you want to tell somebody, you want the church to tell somebody, you want to support that which tells people, it just, it just changes you. You know, I, I, I just think of how it should work by asking you again to think of those two photographs on the page. Which was the greater glory? The color image of the parading presidents? Or the image of the mother kissing the diseased child. I will tell you, the picture of the greatest glory was not on the page. Neither picture. I mean, the greatest glory would not have been the parading presidents or the mother kissing the diseased. You know what the greatest picture would have been? The greatest picture would have been the president kissing the diseased child. And you say, oh, not likely. Before you, you have an even greater picture. The king of heaven. The one who radiates the glory of the purity and the holiness of God. Came for you and gave himself. So that you could sing the song in true holiness. Made right by his provision. You put your faith in him, he puts his righteousness on you and calls you holy. He calls you holy because you put your faith in him. Praise God for one who is so sovereign and pure and merciful and gracious that he calls us holy and we want to tell the world. Father, I bless you for this people who has served you long have put their faith in you through tragedy and trial and triumph, have seen your word move in this community among families and to generations, but continues to need you. Would you remind us, even by the meal that we are about to partake, of the greatest glory that the human mind can perceive, that the King of heaven would bring a divine kiss to us.
so that we could sing of his glory and experience his goodness. May it touch us and change us so that this church, these people, our hearts would sing in great praise, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who made a way for a sinner like me to know the beauty and the grace of heaven. Be merciful to us sinners, we pray, who recognize your glory and praise you for providing it in Jesus' name. We offer our praise to you in the prayer that you taught your disciples to say, saying, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.